Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you a story. Hi friends, I'm Michael Kingswood. It's story time. It is Saturday, thus it is Story Saturday, and I'm getting this one out later than I usually do on Saturdays because, man, I've been, been busy. Uh, like I told you last time I was around, for Story Saturday anyway, I went out and uh, did my little sailing trip and really had a great time. It was a couple weeks, more or less, on the water. Um, well, 10 days getting down from Yorktown to Charleston, and then I had some other business at the beginning of it, but it ended up being away for a total of just under two, 13 days total. Got back and had to undig from a couple weeks away, uh, you know, just general getting back the swing of thing things, and some calamities that I had to undo. So this last week since I returned has been running, 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 getting to... Uh, <laughs> re-established in the homestead and you know fixing the issues that came up when i was away uh so they didn't have time to read uh, a story for you this week what i decided to do instead is we're going to do a blast of the past blast from the past episode here uh i went way back and looked and one of the first stories that i ever read on this channel was a sci-fi military story or military sci-fi story that i wrote called lords of the remnant which uh has one of the fewest views of any uh <laughs> video on my channel one <laughs> and since um yeah the audio quality back then sucked and a whole bunch of other things but i have sent and it literally was just me the video of me with my head down shuffling papers not the fun stuff that i have now so I subsequently reread that to make it a audiobook. So I'm going to use that audiobook uh, audio <laughs> and uh, put that up for you here, here, since nobody's seen it on this channel in a while. Hopefully you'll like it. They came at dawn, a streaming mass of bodies falling from the sky. As with everything else about them, this method of attack took us completely by surprise, and we had no immediate defense against it. It was as though we were a half-step behind them each time we met. When the Centauri colony reported contact with craft of unknown origin, the people living in the various settlements in the Sol system were amazed, excited, filled with joy. We were no longer alone. It was real and undeniable. Two weeks later, when the next transmission from Centauri brought news of the opening of hostilities, that feeling of euphoria changed to one of dread. Mankind had stopped warring with itself centuries ago. With the exception of certain outlaw elements, the average person had no concept of war, or how to fight one. Yes, there were old warships dry docked in the station orbiting at the translunar Lagrange Point, near the James Webb historical site, but it had been decades since the reserve units charged with the maintenance had even powered them up. All at once, though, those relics of man's warlike past became the Sol System's only hope of defense, and every available measure was put to making the small armada ready for action. But as further transmissions arrived from Centauri, we all began to realize that 30 ships, crewed by people with no experience in battle, 
would be of little use against the invaders if they came to Saul next. So Congress voted to build planetary defense grids on Earth, Mars, Luna, Europa, and Titan. The theory was that if we built large automated weapons arrays, the planets would be impregnable against any vessels that managed to make it past our small battle fleet. Problem was time. Centauri was about four light years away. At our best cruising speeds, it was a trip of about ten Earth years, and that was damn little time to build the kind of systems the plans called for. But the continuing transitions from Centauri provided all the motivation we needed. Pictures of the aliens' relentless advance and our kinsmen's inevitable defeat spurred every industry to put aside everything except for war preparations. When, two years after the first one, the final transmission from Centauri came through, a static, laced image of a man with hopeless yet undefeated eyes bidding farewell to the rest of us, we figured we had a minimum of another five or six years to prepare. The aliens would want to take time to lick their wounds, consolidate their holdings, before they moved on. Wouldn't they? They arrived a month later. How they managed it, even our greatest scientists could not explain. It meant they'd traveled so close to the speed of light that there was no point in measuring the difference. Assuming they'd left Centauri immediately after the final battle, that is. If they'd lingered at all to regroup, well, that meant the impossible. They'd traveled faster than light to reach Saul, and that could not be... Could it? Titan and Europa were overrun almost immediately. Their defense grids were only just being started, and their small populations were ill-prepared to fight off the aliens' assault. Our small armada met the alien fleet between Mars and Jupiter. They put up a good struggle, but in the end they were outnumbered and outgunned. With our fleet gone, the aliens advanced on the Mars colonies. They held out a lot longer. Many of us on Earth and Luna wanted to send forces to assist the colonies in resisting the attack. We thought if we joined humanity's forces in one place, we had a decent chance of beating them back. But, wiser, heads prevailed and the powers that be determined to instead focus on building up the Terran defense grid. In the year it took for Mars to fall, we built an impressive array of particle beam cannons, EMP transmitters, orbital minefields, and numerous other devices designed to ward off the alien fleet. But when it came to be our turn, the invaders did not oblige us. Their fleet stood off well beyond Luna's orbit and did nothing. Or so we thought. Late last night, satellite observation posts detected small bursts of energy from the alien ships. At first, we didn't know what was going on, but then, just a couple hours ago, low-Earth orbit weather analysis satellites detected thousands upon thousands of small objects approaching re-entry interface. Our defense grid, designed to target and take out the aliens' large battleships, never even noticed the multitude of man-sized craft until it was too late. The civil defense sirens went off at 5 o'clock local time rousing the populace, those who'd been able to sleep at all, in time to see the last of the plasma trails burn out as the aliens completed re-entry and plunged through the air toward the ground. I had the mid-watch in the civil defense station on the south side of town. When the report came in, I suggested we not sound the sirens at all. Better to not panic people. After all, wouldn't dying in your sleep be preferable to living in desperate fear for a few hours before the end? Of course, that was easy for me to say, as my lieutenant kindly pointed out. The schmuck actually gave a speech about how we were going to beat these alien bastards back. We were going to whip their asses, you understand. I managed to suppress a sarcastic reply, but I'm sure he saw my smirk. What was he going to do? Write me up? We needed every swinging dick who could hold a rifle out in the field, and he knew it. 
So that's how I found myself at the outskirts of the forest southeast of town, watching the tens of thousands of tiny black specks that I knew were alien shock troops grow larger and larger in the sky. I looked left and right at the other guys in my platoon and wondered, for the hundredth time, what the hell we were doing. There were maybe a couple of hundred of us total. There was no way we'd be able to hold them on our own. Headquarters had promised help was on the way as soon as it could get here from the staging area a hundred clicks west, but the aliens were dropping in all over the world from what I could tell. It would be way past lucky if they didn't drop on the staging area as well. Then there was no time to think about it. The first of the invading troopers flared, metallic wings similar to a butterfly's extending from its re-entry suit, and settled onto the ground maybe half a kilometer ahead of our lines. No one had to give the order to fire. A hundred particle rifles, smaller copies of the particle beam cannons in orbit around the Earth, fired nearly in unison, and the first alien disappeared in a superheated fireball. But a second landed, then a third, a fifth, a twentieth, a hundredth. We dispatched the first hundred or so easily enough. They landed far enough apart that we were able to concentrate our fire to take them out quickly. But after that, they began landing in groups of 10 or 20, and it was all we could do to hold our ground. The invaders fell by the dozen as we fell back, but for every one that fell, 10 landed behind it as replacements, and they began to return fire. Their weapons did not spew the same supercharged ions that ours did. They were smaller, less intimidating to look at, but far more precise and deadly. My best buddy in the platoon shrieked and literally melted next to me, his body dissolving into a disgusting amorphous goo when the beam from an invader's weapon struck him, never mind the phasing body armor he wore. I took down the alien who got him, but the sight of him dying that way freaked me out more than anything I had ever seen. I knew when my number got called in this election six months prior that I was not going to live to see the end of the war. We all did, though we never talked about it and we tried not to think about it. But as we went through our drills, learning how to use our weapons and armor, each of us knew it was futile. We were all doomed. Well, maybe not all of us realized it. The lieutenant, silly bastard, seemed to really believe we could prevail. So did a few other guys in the unit. But from the get-go, I knew we were on a fool's errand. So I decided to live it up in the time I had left. Lord knew there were girls aplenty, waiting in line to give it up to a soldier, and who was I to deny them their fantasies? It was every man's dream for a while there, and I almost forgot about the fate awaiting me. Waiting all of us. I surely never thought it would come for us so soon, or that we would die such gruesome deaths. Another buddy getting liquefied next to me drew me back to the present, and I hit the dirt behind a fallen tree. Three separate alien beings traced through the air where I'd just been standing, and I breathed a sigh of relief that my reflexes were as quick as they were. Glancing left and right, I could see two or three other guys from my unit, crouching behind cover as I was. Where was everybody else? My earbud, tuned to the command circuit, carried the lieutenant's voice. It sounded like he was beginning to order a withdrawal, but his words turned into an agonized, horrified screech, and then all that came through the earbud was static. The other men on either side of me panicked as the chain of command broke down. One by one, they scrambled backwards away from the advancing aliens, and one by one, they were struck down, alien beams hitting them the instant they emerged from cover. Took a minute for you to realize that I was completely alone. Alien invaders streamed past my position on either side. They apparently didn't realize I was there, still kicking. For a heartbeat, the thought passed through my mind that I could make it if I just played dead. Then a surge of anger, outrage, filled me. I can't tell you why I did it or how. I don't remember actually deciding to do it. 
were telling my legs to. Before I even realized it, I found myself standing upright, turning my rifle on alien after alien, incinerating an invader with each shot. On and on I shot, raking my fire from left to right. I relished every invader's scream as it went down, every flash of fire as my round struck home. I was going down, but by God, I'd take as many of them with me as I could. And then the rifle stopped firing. I'd used up the entire ammo receiver. I reached for a replacement, but found my belt pouches empty. I must have reloaded and fired through the ball without realizing it. All around me, the battlefield was obscured with smoke. Everywhere I looked, all I could see were craters, the shattered remains of alien invaders, and smoke rising from both. There must have been a hundred of the bastards lying dead or mortally wounded in my immediate vicinity. For a moment, I actually thought I'd won. Then a gust of wind thinned out the smoke, revealing the mass multitudes of invaders gathered in a half-circle around me, watching. Waiting. I was done. Fine, if that's how it was going to be, I wasn't going to give the bastards the satisfaction of watching me run. With a roar, I threw my rifle at the closest of them and drew my bowie knife. Then I charged. A single invader, armored differently from the others, raised its weapon toward me as I advanced. I knew it would get me before I could do anything with my knife, so I threw the blade at it. The alien fired as I threw. It felt like a ball-peen hammer, slugging me in the chest, and I fell over. I had only a heartbeat to wonder why I wasn't melting before I lost consciousness. Couldn't tell you how long I was out, but when I came to, I found myself in a large, oval-shaped room. The walls were painted a light cream color. The ceiling was plain, unadorned except for recessed lighting panels. I was resting on a mattress or a couch of some sort, and I was no longer in my body armor. Instead, I wore a loose-fitting gray robe, almost like a hospital gown. It was hard to move, but I managed to sit up after a few moments of trying. The rest of the room came into view as I did, and my jaw dropped. One side of the room was dominated by a window looking out into space. I knew it was space because I could see Luna and not far off past it, Earth. I'd never been off-world before. The view was awe-inspiring, and for a moment, the implication of what I was seeing was lost on me. It's quite a view, isn't it? The voice surprised me for two reasons. One, I hadn't noticed any other people in the room with me. Two, it spoke perfect English, and in a North American accent. I looked around for the source of the voice, and beheld a man in his middle years sitting in an armchair not far from me. He had dark brown hair, nearly black, and sharp hazel eyes. His nose was Romanesque, and he had large, protruding ears. I did a double-take. His ears were not just large, they were huge and pointed. For that matter, his eyes were not human either. Instead of round, his irises were slits, like a cat's. The alien smirked ever so slightly as I drew back from him. Believe me, you people look just as strange to us as we do to you. How... I swallowed. How do you know your language? Again, the alien smirked. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. That phrase seemed familiar somehow, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I've heard that before, I said, almost to myself. The alien nodded. I should hope so. We spent many years training the man you knew as Sun Tzu. He never knew it, of course. You trained him? I knew I sounded incredulous, and, well, I was. Of course. We make it our business to help the younger species grow. Become strong. 
This was all coming a bit too fast. Processing what the alien was saying, on top of getting my mind around being alive and on an alien ship, was beginning to make my head hurt. I couldn't find the right words to say, so I settled for shaking my head. The alien touched something on the arm of his chair, and the wall opposite the window to space flickered, then displayed a series of images. Humans in all styles of dress that obviously spanned history, engaged in battle after battle. The graphic bloodshed made me wince, but the alien only smiled as he watched the stream of images. Almost from the beginning, you showed promise. You were strong, resourceful, adaptive. You just needed prodding to get you moving on the path to greatness. More images flashed on the screen, this time of individuals. Caesar, Genghis Khan, Sun Tzu, Saladin, Napoleon, Nelson, Kaiser Wilhelm, Hitler, MacArthur, Abu Nadal, Gorshkov, Li Sung, Mendoza. The greatest military leaders in human history streamed past in an unbroken line until, after Thornton, the list abruptly ended. We influenced the greatest among you, helped them become better, without their knowing, of course, and they led you to the height of your strength. He sighed before continuing. As you can imagine, we were gravely disappointed when you decided to turn away from the path of greatness. The alien shook his head in disapproval. No, we haven't. We live among the stars now, in peace. Peace! The alien spat the word like a curse as he turned to give me his full attention. His features contorted in a grimace of disgust. Yes, you lived in peace, and stagnated. He gestured toward the wall again, where a new image appeared. This one was video. It took only a second for me to realize I was looking at a live feed from Earth's surface. Bile rose in my stomach as I watched women, children, the elderly, the wounded, and the fearful fleeing before the advancing alien forces. But they didn't make it far. They fell by the dozen as the aliens fired into the fleeing crowd. There was no audio, but I could imagine their terrified, despairing screams as they sought in vain to escape their fate. Look at them, the alien said, contempt in his voice. Weak. Pathetic. Not one of them has the will to fight for his own survival. Instead, they made themselves sheep for the slaughter. He shook his head again. They're unarmed and without training if weapons are nothing. Training is nothing. The alien tapped the side of his head with his index finger and continued, Will is everything. The will to not give in. To struggle and overcome. To fight. Show me a coward with training against a person of will who never thought of how to fight, and the willful person will win three times out of four. He leaned toward me, fixing me with his strange gaze. How many were in your town, and how many of you came out to fight against us? You have more than enough numbers to beat us, if you had the will to try. You see the result of your species' cowardice there. I don't understand. You want us to fight? Of course. Conflict is the driving force behind growth, behind evolution. A species that stops fighting stops improving itself. It stagnates, as you have. We thought you had grown enough to not need further prodding, but the last several hundred of your years showed us that the maturity to accept the most basic facts of existence still eludes you. And so we have come again to teach you a lesson you should never have forgotten. To live without conflict is to tread upon the path to oblivion. I sank back onto the couch, stunned. The alien's matter-of-fact speech was proof enough that what he said was the truth. All this time, mankind had patted itself on the back for finally finding a way to live at peace with itself, and all the while, that very peace was setting us up for extermination. 
that was so, why, why are you telling me this? For that matter, why am I alive? Because you have a fighter's spirit. The alien stood and walked over to me. If your species is to return to greatness, its new leaders must be of the correct temperament. Of all your comrades on the battlefield, only you had the will to fight to the end. That kind of will is exactly what is needed. I shook my head in denial. I just got angry. And your anger gave you strength. The alien gestured for me to stand up, and I complied, slowly. I was pretty sure I knew what the alien had in mind, but decided to hear him out anyway. Rather than speaking, though, he gestured toward the window, and I looked out. Down on Earth, I could see, even from this distance out in space, flashes of explosions in several locations around the globe. They must have detonated some truly massive bombs for us to be able to see them from way out here. We stood there for what seemed a long time, just watching the fireworks. Finally, the alien spoke again. As you can see, if we wished to, we could eliminate your species completely. But we believe you still have promise, so we're giving mankind a fresh start. We will spare a remnant, enough to rebuild in a reasonable amount of time. You will help lead that remnant on the proper path. I'll not be your stooge. The alien chuckled, and so you won't. After this is done, you'll never see me or mine again. But we'll be watching, helping, prodding, just as we always have, and hoping that this time you'll get it right. And if I say no... The alien was silent for a moment, and I glanced sidelong at him. Rather than looking at me, his gaze remained fixed on the earth. When he finally spoke, his voice carried a hard edge. You may refuse, and we'll simply set you back on earth. You might even survive to be one of the remnants. But I promise you, life will be less than pleasant. We'll see to that. You'll wish very quickly that you'd accepted our offer. Turning away from the window, the alien walked back to the chair, and touched the armrest again. Part of the wall near the display screen opened, and a group of people walked out. They numbered about twenty or thirty, and all were human. Male, female, dark, light, tall, short, slim, muscular, but none fat. They represented all the sub-races of humanity. Leading them was a tall, muscular man with a proud face and hard eyes. It took me a moment to realize where I recognized him from. He was the man in the last transmission from Centauri. The group stopped when they reached the alien's chair and turned their eyes on me. I felt laid bare, naked, beneath their collective gaze. Decide now, said the alien. Will you join these others as a lord of the remnant, and lead mankind back to greatness? Or will you refuse and take your chances with those on the world below? I looked from the alien to the Satari man's face, and then down the line of humans to the last, a lovely young lady of Czech descent, unless I missed my guess. Next, I turned and looked out the window toward the besieged Earth. It was not a hard choice to make. Okay, there it is. I think it's a fun story. Hopefully you liked it too. Uh, we're going to keep this episode short, though, because I have a lot of work still to do this evening. <laughs> it's Saturday evening. I can't, hang, can't spend too much time here and got more work to do. So, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. If you have, don't forget to like, subscribe, channel tell all your buddies if you didn't like it like subscribe anyway because there's a bunch of other stories maybe like one of them more uh you should of course uh go to michaelkingswood.com slash store to get all of my books buy them all this whole point of this channel is to grift my books so if you're not going to buy them what's the point <laughs> uh if you want to go that, that michaelkingswood.com store 
michaelkingswood.com slash store goes straight to my company's uh, store. You can get them on whatever format you want, print, ebook, audiobook, for those where the audiobooks are available, and uh, <clears throat> I get maximum profit that way. Alternately, if you want to go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, iBooks, Google Play Books, all those things, you can. Go to michaelkingswood.com slash books to read, and that'll get you the universal book link uh, to any of my titles that you want. So you can go click on the title and click on which store you want to go to, and it'll be nice and easy for you. Better to come straight to me. In addition to that, uh, don't forget, or I don't think, you can't forget because I haven't told you. I didn't specifically announce it. I mean, I told you before I left that I was going to be doing videos of the trip on this channel, and I did. Those of you who have been paying attention to the channel probably saw it. If you have, have been away for a while, maybe not. I made a playlist, Michael Kingswood Sailing Adventure. Uh, I will put that playlist in the end credits here. Uh, check out the, the trip. It was a good time. The videos are fun. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you'll get some inspiration from it. Or at least have fun watching us have fun. And you can envy us our cool, fun time. Anyway, I'm out. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week, and hopefully this next week will be less disc discombobulated than this one has been, and I'll be more able to uh, do a fresh story. Otherwise, there are plenty of blasphemy pasts, but we're going to try not to do that. Regardless, we will be here back next Saturday, and look forward to seeing you then. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.